I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. With me today, Dr. Mark Siegel. Welcome. Good to see you, Bill. We are recording this on a Thursday, March 5th, around 12 noon Eastern time. And the reason I say that is depending on when the listeners hear it, all the information on the story could be different. And perhaps that's a component of the story that must be considered. So let's, over the next 20 minutes or so, let's separate the fact from fiction. Are we freaking out? And is it right? We are freaking out. And the public response to this is way over the top. And I'm going to tell you why. First of all, we have an emerging virus, an emerging contagion. It's invisible. It's unknown. We've never heard of it before. It's coming from a faraway place where we don't have a lot of insight into what goes on. We're concerned about the health system in that place. We don't know the numbers properly. We don't know how many people have actually gotten this. We don't know how many people have died from it. We don't know how sick it gets you. But I am prepared to answer all of those questions for you. Okay. The incubation period is said to be 14 days. And then yesterday, as of Wednesday, March 4th, we're told perhaps it's longer than 14 days. That's the first piece of misinformation we can start with. Like most respiratory viruses, the incubation period is usually up to a week, up to a week. And then occasionally it goes beyond the week and it's up to two weeks. It would be an unbelievable anonymous, it would be an unbelievable anomaly if, if a person had 29 days before they actually got it. I'm willing to consider that as the truth. Another possibility is that this patient actually had an earlier, milder version a week before and didn't know they had it, and then suddenly, bam, they got it after 29 days. Either way, it is not more than two weeks, this incubation period, and it's mostly less than one week in the vast majority of cases. That fits the pattern of all other respiratory viruses. You see what's happening with the economy here at home and globally, and you think about big music festivals have been canceled. Huge conventions have been canceled. Um... Airline travel has been cut back. Is that the right response? The, the, the direction of that response is right, but the actual extent of it is hyperbolic. Let me clue you in on something you've heard nowhere else before. The purpose of this is to try to contain the virus before it takes hold in various regions of the world to the point where it will recur on its own. That's the goal. The way it's being perceived as the public is, this is a personal danger to me. That's not true, but that's the emotional response. When you see public health officials or officials of any kind, school officials, church officials, event planners, when they start canceling, you think, if they didn't cancel and I went to this event, I could catch the corona and I could die. That's not the intent. The intent is to decrease the amount of spread now while we could still get the virus to die off. That's the goal. If it gets to a certain level, it's going to recur on its own season after season. So it's not a direct proportion to danger. It's a direct proportion to public health vigilance. Mm. So you've studied this for years, right? Contagions and the fear of contagions. Mm. For years, and I've written extensively about it. How do you, as a medical doctor, how do you find an interest in this? Where did that start with you? It started with the idea I had about fear, which is that I discovered that 
after 9-11, after September 11th, I found that we were very vulnerable as a society. And anything that ca- I felt like the wind was coming through our psyche all the time. And anything that came our way after 9-11, which punctured our, our national psyche, was punctured. We overreacted to everything. We talked about anthrax like it was going to kill us without even thinking. Anthrax is not contagious. Or if some warhead came offshore with anthrax, when it hit the ground, the heat would kill all the anthrax. We talked about it like it was going to get us. It may have even led directly to the Iraq war, as a matter of fact. But it wasn't alone, anthrax. Each time there's a health scare, we overreact to it. We jump to the worst case scenario. And the reason is because fear in the brain, Bill, is much more powerful than reason. We think we're reasoning all the time. We think we're assessing risk all the time. We're not. The hardwiring of the brain that we inherit from our animal forebearers is much stronger, much more powerful. If you take an animal and you put a plate of very thick glass between that animal and its natural predator, like a lion. Let's say you take, a, on one side you put a mouse, and on the other side you put a lion, and you put a plate of get glass, and you measure the heart rate and the blood pressure of that mouse. That mouse is certain that that lion is going to come right through the glass. That's how we are. We hear the worst all the time, and it's always out of proportion to what the actual risk is. So in this case, you have this virus from Wuhan, China, did it jump from animal to human beings? Can it, we can we say that? Yes, but even the word jump is a fear word. What happened was this virus was in bats. And somehow and, and these viruses, these coronaviruses live in mammals all the time. They're found very commonly in mammals. And bats bats harbor a lot of these viruses. Bats harbor several viruses that we have to be concerned about, but coronaviruses one. Then an intermediary mammal came along, maybe a pangolin. The, the scaly mammal, that the, this exotic scaly mammal, they trade those scales all around the world on the black market, maybe a pangolin, maybe something else, and somehow it jumped species again to humans. Right, but, but how do you, do you ingest that? that the, Do, does it come into contact through the nose or the eye? Well, surely there's close contact in China between people and these animals, and they also are in the habit of eating them undercooked. And so either way, that would explain how it first got into humans. And then humans being in close contact with each other. You have to understand that. Yeah, but one, I, I don't understand that. How, how does it jump from an animal to a human being? Well, are, because, are there multiple ways? Well, no. It's because a human being c- coming in contact with a virus that is generally, let's say, a bad virus can get sick. Okay, so can that, get sick that virus could be airborne from the animal? Yes. And then you inhale it through? Or through your, the meat, or through eating the, the animal. So oh, there, are, there are multiple ways. Right, and if enough, pe- right, correct. And if enough people are exposed to it, it mutates. Now, how does it mutate? Something I want your listeners to know about this virus. It's, it's a kind of virus that doesn't repair itself, so it mutates and changes a lot. It's those changes, genetic changes, that allow it to jump species. It's an unstable virus, and that's likely what happened in this case. Now, there's other theories out there. Was this a lab accident at the Wuhan Virology Institute? That's very unlikely, and there's nothing about the structure as it's been looked at under the microscope that would suggest any kind of biological 
bioengineering. It seems like it's a natural virus that just changed or mutated because it's unstable, because it does that all the time, because it jumps species all the time. Humans are just too close in this case to the species that, that are harboring it. Mm. So whether it was bird flu or um, SARS, um, what am I forgetting? Ebola. Yeah, Ebola was an example of fear, too, because we kept forgetting. We always forget something. With Ebola, we forgot that it's not contagious, very, very difficult to catch. You know, with SARS, it died out. It actually w- was pretty lethal, but it never had sustained spread. We, we're so afraid. The, the, the fear spreads. Does that mean it did not mutate like the coronavirus is mutating? I have a theory on that. It's called... It's how well it takes takes to the human f- species. How well does this virus get used to being transmitted from human to human? In SARS, it didn't really get used to it, so it died out. That's what happened with SARS. In this case, we're waiting to see. Now, granted, over 90,000 people have gotten this around the world at the time that we're talking today. I suspect it's more like 200,000, by the way. I think they got it by about half, maybe. But the cases they're missing are the very mild cases. So when the World Health Organization says the death rate is 3.4%, they're not being fair. The death rate's a lot lower than that because of all the cases that were never diagnosed. If you have a cold, you may not know you have coronavirus. And you may, there may have been cases here in the United States for a while now. So you mentioned the time factor here, which in medicine, trying to figure this out and understand it is, is, is critical. Do we believe that this began in December prior to the Christmas holiday? For sure, that's true. It may have even begun at the end of November. I mean, so, we, so point being then, we're three months into this. Is that a good amount of time? Is that a fair amount of time or is that not much time at all? That's, that's a fair amount of time to see how a virus is evolving. And one thing we're hearing is that it's diminishing in China right now. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. We can't go from disbelieving everything out of China to suddenly believing everything. Uh, but we're hearing... Now, one thing that has happened is that Chinese scientists have stepped up to the plate here, Bill, and we're getting better information than we got at the beginning of this, where they were literally knocking on the door of the doctor who found this in the middle of the night and forcing him to sign a document where he said, what I just posted online is untrue. I mean, under force, under duress. That's not happening anymore. To that extent, we've seen improved cooperation. Okay, so for, for example, then, these Americans are on this cruise ship in Japan, um, the virus spreads quickly in a contained area. It's clearly the case on board that ship. You horrible, agree with that, horrible. Right? So they're flown home, California. They get a fever on the plane. Uh, they're transported immediately to Nebraska. And then they're observed for a period of at least two weeks, I would say. Exactly right. And even if they're released and said to be negative. Or, well, most of them were positive. Out of the 15 there, 13 so, were positive. So they're treated and then they're going to quarantine and then they're cleared after, again, a period of two weeks. Then you watch them and observe them and see whether or not it comes back inside of them, correct? So you, correct. as a physician trying to figure this out, you need more than Two weeks when it's inside the human being, correct? Two weeks. You need two weeks to see if the symptoms are coming back. Sure. Or well, to see whether or not it dies out or whether or not it finds a carrier in you or me or can be transmitted to someone So that's else. another point of misinformation here that's come out. You know, this is misreporting, not by us, obviously, but you need to understand that a lot of these viruses, respiratory viruses, they're cyclical. Think of the flu. You could be home with the flu one day. 
and you're getting ready, you say, I feel better. I get these calls all the time. I feel better. I want to go back to work. I say, wait an extra day. Then I get a call. Well, now I don't feel so good. Symptoms cycle. There's no reason to believe people are being reinfected. It's much more likely that that they just didn't get better fa- as fast as they thought they would. We have every reason to believe it with given the information coming out of China and now from other countries. We're getting better access to information out of South Korea, by the way, because mm-hmm. they have an excellent healthcare system there. They have over 5,000 people that have been infected. They've screened well over 100,000 people, over 200,000 people at this point, And they're finding that most cases are very mild. They're mild and people get better and they go back to work. So how long does that take? It takes a couple of weeks. Does it take months? No. Hold that thought. More Hammer Time coming up. So it's, it's hit the elderly hard. It has not affected children. Is that a fair statement? It's hit the elderly quite hard and people with chronic conditions quite hard. A- of I- any age? Of any age, beginning mostly over the age of 40, though. We don't know the answer to that next question you're leading to, which is what happens if you're 16 and you have juvenile diabetes. I don't know, but most of the, almost all of the severe cases are in people over 40 or 50. 40 or 50, a 50 year old with chronic medical conditions, we've seen some deaths there. So mostly it's the elderly, and I mean 70 or 80, but we're also seeing some severe cases among those with chronic illness who are younger than 70 or 80. A couple observations here. Uh, I live in New York, you live in New York, and um, uh, the longer this goes on, the more people I see walking down the sidewalk with a mask on. Is that taking care of oneself or is that an overreaction? It's useless. And not only that, it's useless, useless. And it spreads a fear message. It's like saying you're wearing a mask down the street. You're saying Corona, Corona. And you, you, you're painting the street. You might as well paint it red Corona. I mean, what are you kidding? Why would anyone? No, I'm not trying to make fun of people. People are, are rightly afraid, but think about it. How much coronavirus is there around? 30, 35 million cases of the flu in the United States this year alone. Coronavirus, we're talking about over 100 cases. The chances of you encountering it on that street with your mask close to zero, much more likely you're not going to wear the mask properly. It might accumulate a different kind of a virus. You scratch your face. You spread that virus to your eyes, to your nose, to your ears. I think it's a, a carrier of viruses, that mask. The time to use a mask is if you're sick yourself, you pinch the part over the nose, you wear it properly, you, you, you use it as a barrier to pre- prevent you from spreading respiratory droplets to those around you. You could convince me, Bill, to wear one on a plane because it's such a close confines, but I still would rather that the people that have a cough or sneeze or a little droopy or feel a little under the weather, they're the ones that should wear it on planes. We, we need it for our healthcare workers. I was on the subway and this gentleman next to me sneezes and I walked to the other end of the car. And I get to the other end of the car and a woman sneezes. And then I say to him, well, where do I go now? Um, and I say that as a reporter who's been on this story for more than a month now, and you as a physician who also gives commentary through media, television, radio, et cetera, what is the responsibility of the media in terms of flame throwing the headlines of a story that perhaps that you've clearly laid out should not be a general concern to most people. I think the problem is the way it usually is, which is the wrong people are talking about it. Either people who aren't experts, either people who aren't experts 
I'll give you an example, okay? But the people who aren't experts are pontificating to get their, we call it their five minutes of fame, or people are talking about it in the wrong way because they don't know how to message, the messaging of it. I like the messaging that's come out of the task force that the president has put together because those are people that are seasoned. I have followed contagions for a long time and the messaging has been poor in the past. I remember with bird flu, you know, bird flu did, killed millions of birds and the head of the W Health Organization came out and said it, it could kill 100 million people. And I thought 100 million people, it's a bird virus. And it wasn't spreading among humans. And there was a very good chance it never would. It's all about how you message without falsely alarming people. And that's what this, this task force has done well. But listen to this. The other day, somebody got on t- TV, our airwaves here, and said that he felt that everyone in the country is going to end up with this coronavirus. That's an example of really bad messaging. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. If this virus stays around, if it stays around, Bill, over the next five years or 10 years, and it keeps recurring and recurring and recurring, you and I will be exposed to it. We may, we never, we may never get sick. We may get antibodies. We may be immune. The immunity, will go through, grow, the immunity will grow through the community. At the end of five or 10 years, his, his message will be true. But that's not how it sounded, is it? It sounded like the corona will get you and all of us will be infected soon, sooner rather than later. That's not true. The truth is that if we don't stamp it out now and it keeps coming back over several years, you'll encounter it. That's a a messaging problem. The first uh, press conference in the Brady Room at the White House, I think it's now been 10 days since then. And many of the members of the CDC and the Health and Human Services, they said, it's, it's coming here. It's inevitable. And the president was saying, it, it's probably coming here, but I'm not going to agree that it's inevitable that it will be what? Fill in the blank. It's inevitable that we can't manage it, that we can't stop it. What do you think he was trying to say when he said, I don't think it's inevitable, I think he was saying that it's not inevitable that the virus itself will disrupt daily life. It's not inevitable that it will be that severe or that pronounced. Or that and, is in, that be, in, and is that because they're ahead of it or trying to get ahead of it? Or what is your evaluation of that? Because either they're ahead. He, he, he was implying that it's because either they're ahead of it or it itself may not be sustained enough. We've had many times in the past where something looked like it was going to continue to spread wildly and it didn't it died out or or late spring occurred and respiratory viruses don't tend to travel as well uh, on humid air they like dry cold air so when you get to the late spring and you get humid air and hot air they tend to not travel as far and people are not coming close together like they do for thanksgiving or christmas let's say and so the spread diminishes. One good thing has, that's occurred out of this, you, you mentioned yourself on the subway car. I like the idea of being aware that someone's coughing or sneezing around you. Maybe they're going to spread the flu to you. Well, I, was, I, I, I got off the subway and thought, Bill, you're paranoid. No, you're not paranoid, but that was probably not the coronavirus they were sneezing with. It was something else. And you may have kept yourself from getting yeah, a common well, cold. Uh, in the last minute we have here, what, what do you think... You pay attention to all this. What do you think we're missing in terms of our understanding? 
I think we're missing the self-fulfilling prophecy that when the president was talking about disrupting life, he was talking about the virus. And by overreacting and panicking to this extent, we are disrupting life. We're acting like it's here. It's going to get you. And that's such a worst case scenario in jumping. It's almost as if as a public, we feel if we don't get really alarmed by this and we don't talk about it all the time, that we're not taking it seriously enough. I guarantee you our scientists are taking it seriously enough. The public should be aware of that, glad for that. They should be conscious of this virus. They shouldn't let it take over their lives. Last question. I know I'm I'm cheating here now. It's early March. When do you think we'll have an answer as to how infectious it is, how much longer we must manage it, deal with it, take it on? We're learning that answer right now by watching South Korea, not by watching Iran or Italy. Well, South Korea, as I said, has a very organized health yeah. system, and they're screening everyone. And, and very modern. And very modern. And they're, they're seeming to start to get control over it. I'm reassured to see that 200,000 people get screened and only 5,000 have it. Here in the United States, we're finally starting to get the test kits we need. If we can screen 200,000, 300,000, 1 million people, and we see only a small percentage of them have this coronavirus— and it doesn't expand greatly. And remember, we're going to have a fear response if we go suddenly from 100 cases to 1,000 cases. But remember, I told you the flu is 35 million cases. If we see that this isn't burgeoning into the hundreds of thousands, then there's a very good chance it's going to die out. And then my question would be, when do we have a sense of what that percentage is? Do Over the know? next few weeks. Next few weeks. I'd say by the end of this month, we should have a really good indication. First of April. Absolutely. We'll have a better idea. And we'll be sitting here and I will give you an update. Right on. Thank you, doctor. Good to see you, Bill. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News. Thank you, sir. Nice to see you. Thank you for your knowledge. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 